There are so many questions about this pandemic. First, there are questions about the virus itself and how it's transferred and how it affects some people in some ways and other people in other ways, how it can be managed, how it can be mitigated. Our nation is, do, is not doing too well with this virus. And the questions, well, they multiply. When will we ever get beyond this virus? When will we be able to come back and be the church in this sacred space together? And what will that actually be like? Will schools and colleges ever adjust to this virus? What will be the lasting effects on the economy, on our way of life, and what we perceive as normal? And these are just a few of the questions. So many questions linger about our society in these days. We continue with widespread uprisings and demonstrations across the nation that provide a clarion call that it's time to change our culture. Can we finally, truly dismantle racism in this land? Can we find new ways to function that move us beyond segregation and brutality and socioeconomic racial disparities and injustice, can we? Can we finally navigate our way to that beloved community where we are judged by the content of our character? Can we become one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all? Can we? There are more questions on our hearts in these days. Can, we, can our democracy survive all that is happening? Can we have a fair election? Can we abide by the election results? Can we navigate beyond the polarizing politics that plague us? And undoubtedly, there are other questions that haunt us right here about our personal lives, or maybe a loved one. How are we going to get through this latest turmoil? Maybe it's a medical situation. Maybe it's about marriage or a relationship. Maybe it's about a child. Maybe it's something else, a transition in your life. When will the light chase away the darkness? When will the tears stop? When will things change and we can be people who live in joy and possibility? Questions are so important. Questions can also focus us for action as well. We have a scripture passage today and it's full of questions. I even invite you to try to count them in this passage, listen to the final part of Romans chapter 8. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies 
Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us, who will separate us from the love of Christ. Will hardship or peril or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor rulers, nor angels, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation we will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Wow, that is a good question. Two good questions, crucial questions, especially with a pandemic. Especially with a national reckoning on racism. Especially with a democracy in peril. Or personal deep concerns. Can these things separate us from the love of Christ? That's the question. Paul, the apostle, gives the answer. He says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. But we're still separated because of the pandemic. Even though we hear the words and we affirm them, nothing can separate us from God's love. We feel the pains and the frustrations of separation. We also feel the heavy burden of centuries-long racism challenging us, perplexing us in these days. We feel the weight of a democracy in crisis and so many election questions and stormtroopers fighting protesters and a struggling economy, separation, alienation, devastation, frustration... Just before that string of questions at the end of Romans 8, there's a great promise that deserves a little bit of attention today, and it's in actually verse 28. It says this, We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to God's purpose. That one verse actually is the context for all the questions. Every single good Bible has a footnote beside verse 28 of chapter 8 of Romans because there's great debate about what the verse actually intends to say. Some early manuscripts actually say God makes all things work together for good. So there's a question about the subject of this particular verse. Is the subject God who makes all all things good, or is God simply present and things somehow become good for those who love God? These are really important questions. What is true? What should we believe? And there's a question about the verb, too. Is God at work making things good, or do things simply become good? These are really important questions. What is true? What do we believe? 
I think there's really no debate about this particular verse. The whole Bible, all 66 books and every chapter is a story about God working for good. Despite the ups and downs of life, despite the losses and the setbacks and the struggles and the frustrations, God is always working for good. It's not that things work for good for those who love God. Indeed, lots of things do not work for good by themselves. The critical, miserable things that happen to each of us do not by themselves uh, become good. A pandemic, a horrible diagnosis, a deep and devastating heartache, they do not become good on their own. All things by themselves are not working for good. But when God is the subject, whenever God is involved, and God is always present and involved, God works for good. Can you hear that today? Can I hear it? Can we hear it together? God works for good. Say it to yourself. Say it tonight when you're tossing and turning. Say it when you're waiting for the doctor to come back into the room. God works for good. That's the message of this passage. It's the truth that we certainly hope for in these complicated times. God is working for good. Nothing can separate us from God. Even if we are separated one from another, we are more than conquerors, Paul says, even if we have a long road of reckoning because of our history of racism and our complicity in racism. We're more than conquerors, God is promising. God brings redemption and hope. This is what the Bible is about through misery and trauma, through failure and the biggest mistakes, even total hopelessness. God's abiding care, God's presence, God's energy, God's spirit bring life out of death and healing out of the deepest hurt and light out of darkness and joy out of tears and dancing when there's been so much mourning. That's the promise. We're in the midst of this struggle and a lot of layers. We can't often see in the midst of the struggle. We can't even imagine how God might be at work sometimes. But this is the promise. This is what wants to shape us. God is at work redeeming, bringing life, never leaving us. Nothing separates us from God's love. We have a second passage today, and it's from Matthew's Gospel. I'm reading from chapter 13. Listen. He, Jesus, put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in the field. It's the smallest of the seeds, but when it has grown, it's the greatest of shrubs, and it becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nest in its branches. He told them another parable. 
The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which someone found and hid. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. And when it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all this, Jesus asked? They answered, yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out of his his treasure what is new and what is old. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Just when we might feel especially burdened and beaten down with the challenges of life, you know, the isolation, the frustration, the fears from a pandemic, and national unrest about systemic racism and concern about our democracy and many personal issues, we get these little hopeful stories about the kingdom of heaven. Commentator Dale Bruner calls this section of Matthew's gospel and the parables the little power parables the main point of these parables is the contrast between the littleness of the means and the largeness of the end the little seed leads to the big mustard plant the little teeny leaven leads to the fullness of the bread the little lost treasure leads to the greatest joy the little net catches the biggest fish of all kinds when we really know about the kingdom of heaven and how it comes about from the smallest means from the simplest acts from the most unexpected places from the minuscule to the majestic We will never be discouraged when we know about that. We will never be dismayed when we know that God is working in all things toward those large ends. Rather, we'll be inspired, we'll be encouraged, we'll be empowered, we'll be strengthened to love and serve God in the world for the kingdom of heaven. Remember, mustard seeds get planted and they get tended. Yeast gets added and other ingredients combined and then there's kneading and there's waiting. Treasure must get dug up, unearthed, recognized and as something of worth. Nets must be cast repeatedly, hauled in, gone over, gone through their contents, made ready for consumption, eating, the good The life-giving in doesn't ever come without energy and effort and patience and devotion and continued care on our part 
God is working through all things. And God also asks for our energy, our devotion in working too. And then we find our way to the kingdom. We, as God's people, are gifted with the responsibility to participate in the good and godly coming of the kingdom of heaven. This week, our hearts have been focused on the life of civil rights icon and Georgia Congressman John Lewis, who died. He was a little seed preaching to his chickens when he was a little boy outside of Troy, Alabama. He was a passionate young person learning from, walking with, getting beaten and arrested with Martin Luther King. He kept offering his life yeast in a big, big movement for voting rights and justice. He kept looking for treasure, a better world, or more wholesome society. He kept casting his net in nonviolent ways. He kept working with fortitude for change. He kept saying, speak up, speak out, get in the way. And he said, young people, quote, have an obligation, a mission, a mandate to push and pull and not be satisfied. But he always urged all people not to tear down, but to build, build up. And Lewis also said this, and I quote, May we hold only love, only peace in our hearts, knowing that the battle of good to overcome evil is already won. Friends, we have, have to be shaped by the promises of God. Nothing separates us from God's love. Great is God's faithfulness. God will not let us go, not even in a pandemic or a cultural or personal crisis. God will not let us go. God is at work. Can you hear that? And then, so shaped by those promises, so confident of God's abiding love and care, we tend to the tasks of life. You and I, we are called to plant seeds of peace and hope that blossom into new trees of possibility. We keep seeking to be leaven in the bread, yeast that brings life and possibility to every encounter, to every relationship, to everything that we're about. We spread kindness. We practice forgiveness. We build bridges. We work for justice, knowing like John Lewis, that our labor is not ever in vain. This is what we do. We keep searching for treasures. We keep refusing to give up on joy. You cannot give up. You cannot despair, Lewis always said. No matter how bad it gets, don't give up and don't despair. God is always present. God is always at work. We keep casting our nets for a better world. We keep seeking to discern how to be the church in these ever-changing times. We, as God's people, are gifted with the responsibility to participate in the good and godly coming of the kingdom of heaven. That's our calling. Here's something else John Lewis said. 
Do not get lost in a sea of despair. Be hopeful. Be optimistic. Our struggle is not the struggle of a day, of a week, of a month, or a year. It's the struggle of a lifetime. Never, ever be afraid to make some noise and get in some trouble, necessary trouble. God is at work. God is working through all things. God works through all things. Nothing separates us from God's love, not ever. And we keep sowing seeds and seeking to be the leaven and finding the treasure of joy in the field and working for the kingdom of heaven. We go that way together. May God bless us on that way. Alleluia. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, to turn from you is to fall. To turn to you is to rise. To hear your calling, to trust your promises, to commit our ways, sowing seeds and being leaven and building up. Well, that way is to abide forever following Christ our Lord. We commit to that way. Amen.